This is Sophie Wilson, and you are listening to the Slow Boat Sailing Podcast. Support the Slow Boat Sailing Podcast on patreon.com slash slowboatsailing. Greetings from Cuba. So Stevie and I, since we last spoke to you on episode 15, went down to Venice, Florida in a day sail, visited my parents, and uh, got the boat ready for our next big blue water passage. And we left on Thursday from Venice, Florida, and sailed to the western tip of Cuba, Cabo San Antonio. Now, this was kind of a winding road. We had the... We benefited from Jennifer Clark's Gulf Stream and her advice on all the crazy currents that are in the Gulf of Mexico. And so most of the time we were moving faster than speed over ground because of the the currents. And then when we got closer to the Gulf Stream, we angled into it a little bit and we went a little bit slower until we ghosted along the coast of Cuba. And then we either had no current or we had a favorable current. So the waypoints that Jennifer Clark's Gulf Street programmed for us was way different than the rum line that we would have chosen. And I'm sure we got there a lot quicker. We avoided the north-flowing Yucatan current, which is a big uh, obstacle in addition to the Gulf Stream, which uh, flows around the Straits of Florida. And... Things that I didn't think about, like little eddies within the Gulf of Mexico, we were able to take advantage of. And so when we were west of Florida Bay, uh, we got those uh, favorable eddies, uh, which we would not have gotten had we not uh, had the benefit of Jennifer Clark's Gulf Streams waypoints. So we had some really beautiful motoring conditions in terms of there was some pure calms. So I got some really awesome pictures of dolphins during a total calm so you could see them swimming under the water. It was really great. It was blue water almost all the way ever since we left sight of land in Florida and then we didn't sight land until we got to the coast of Cuba. We went uh, west of the Dry Tortugas and We really didn't see almost any boats in the Gulf of Mexico and only started seeing ships as we uh, Gulf Stream. But it was nothing like the ship traffic that uh, I was expecting had we crossed the Yucatan Current from Isla Mujeres, my original plan, or what I saw in slow boat to the Bahamas when I crossed the Gulf Stream from Key Largo to Bimini in the Bahamas. So today we are in the Isla Juventud in the Ensenada de Barcos anchored here. We actually did four overnights and sailed for four days straight, but we stopped in Cabo San Antonio Marina Los Moros in Cuba to check in and that went really well. We got more fuel, we got more water. We got to meet some of the fishermen there. 
Stevie played some songs. We made some friends. And I also got to meet Addison Chan, who was on episode four, a good friend of anybody who wants to visit Cuba and a good friend of mine. But it was the first time I ever met him in the flesh, and that was great meeting him and Pat and Three Penny Opera. They were on their way to Isla Mujeres, and uh, wish them luck. I'm, you probably know more about their trip than I do, since you have access to the Internet from this point on. But it was a, it was a wonderful to see the two of them, and uh, he gave us some good weather advice. So we pushed on... Uh, just a few hours after landing, well, maybe five hours, something like that. And then we uh, sailed through the night around the western tip of Cuba, which was a piece of cake under those conditions. It was, you know, probably zero to five knots. There was only about a half a knot of adverse current as we were going around, and we took a wide berth over kind of the danger spots, in particular Punta Per. Perpetua, all the guides uh, warn you to stay well off Punta Perpetua at the southwest tip of Cuba. We did, and we didn't see any breaking waves at Punta Perpetua. Not because we were far away. I don't think there were any, but it was probably a little rougher on that day. So it was just an uh, easy day. There was Because we were just motoring straight into the, the trade winds, so the, one of the reasons for going to Cuba is to use the coast of Cuba to break up the trade winds. And Isla Juventud, in part, breaks up the swells because it sticks out from the south side of Cuba about where the, the curve is on the Cuban coast, south Cuban coast. But still, you, you're going to get prevailing easterlies. We started out with northeasterlies. They went more easterly, but it was pretty easy and the swells didn't really slow us down that much and so we had a pretty easy overnight passage to Isla Juventud and then once you're at Isla Juventud we should be in protected waters in the Bay of Bontabano in Cuba and there's some uh, wonderful anchorages along our, the rest of our route uh, supposedly wonderful fishing and uh, just a gorgeous place. The, the waters that we're in right now are clear as a bell. It was a wonderful swimming at this anchorage yesterday. Got to do a little bit of sailing when we turned north and had more of a close hauled or beam reach and sometimes we had a run as we went up the coast of Isla Juventud, the Isle of Youth. It's really the biggest island that is kind of on the south coast of Cuba. It's a almost square shape, but not quite, uh, but you'll see it on the map. So hopefully today we'll get the opportunity to go into Nueva Verona, the biggest city in the Isla Juventud, and upload this podcast. If not, you may hear this a week later in Cayo Largo. And so our plan is uh, over the next several days uh, to go to Cayo Largo, and that's where we're going to have our jumping off point to Panama. We'll have a beam reach to Panama and hopefully stop in Providencia on the way. This episode is sponsored by Jennifer Clark's Gulfstream. Satellite oceanographer Jennifer Clark and professional meteorologist Dane Clark have over 35 years of experience helping sailors on blue water voyages. Their current charts, crossing waypoints, and personalized weather advice 
help sailors take advantage of favorable currents and minimize the impact of unfavorable ones. A link to their website, their email address, and their phone number are in the show notes. Our guest today is Tyler Brandt. He is a world-famous kayaker, but he's taken up sailing over the last three or more years in his Wizard's Eye expedition. So Tyler Brandt is famous for going off the largest falls ever. So he has a world record of going off the largest falls in a kayak. He's a whitewater kayaker uh, extraordinaire, and he brings on his boat the Wizard's Eye, which is, a, I believe, a 42-foot sailboat. I believe it's steel. And he's been sailing around the world from La Paz, Mexico, and today he probably should be in Colombia. I caught up with him when he was briefly in Grenada and spoke to him. Hey, Tyler. Hey, hey man, you there, bro? Yeah, yeah, you sound good. Okay, cool, man. This, this, this connection's a little frustrating. It seems like it's going in and out. So if, if it gets to be too difficult, what I'll do is I'll just take the dinghy around to this other place where, where they've got some Wi-Fi as well, and I'll see if that connection's a little bit better. So, yeah, man, I'll, we'll, we'll just play it by ear, see how it goes. So you're in Grenada right now. Correct. Yeah, Wizard's Eye just arrived in Grenada from Brazil yesterday, and we're just doing a pretty quick turnaround here on our way to Colombia. Okay, cool. So you guys started out, what What was your first port in Wizard's Eye? Well, yeah, the first port of, of the Wizard Expedition was La Paz, Mexico, and we, we left there and ended up having to come into Cabo for some repairs before our Pacific crossing, and yeah, that was about three and a half years ago, and many, many thousands of miles. So you're, you guys are really very much on schedule. Uh, I mean, when you watch the Wizard's Eye videos, you say you're doing a five-year circumnavigation, and you're pretty close to done. Maybe you're early. Yeah, yeah, we're pretty much on schedule. Um, Just a little bit early. I was uh, originally um, planning on including the Northwest Passage as a part of the expedition, and as it is, I think we're going to end up going through the Panama Canal, back up to Mexico, completing the circumnavigation, and then um, doing the Northwest Passage as a future uh, Wizard's Eye expedition in the next, uh, you know, in the coming years. Oh, that sounds fun. Are, yeah, are... I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe it won't be fun. <laughs> no. uh, obviously, if you watch the Wizard's Eye videos, which are really great, one of the things that you, you get some sailing in there, but you also see a lot of kayaking, you see a lot of other adventure sports, maybe like base jumpers and stuff like that. Your specialty is kayaking. One of the things you told me today was that you you were looking for a waterfall to kayak, and so do you. Just uh, do you have an on your itinerary? Do you have a plan of like a river that you're going to do, or do you kind of just play it by ear? You hear about new things and try it out. Yeah, I would. I would say it's probably about twenty-five percent plan and seventy-five percent uh, sort of winging it, hearing about things as as we go along. And uh, yeah, it's just uh, it's you know, there's like anybody, like any sailor knows, there's a lot that goes into you know these these sorts of expeditions and the boats and just the 
logistics of the boat itself and maintaining it and keeping everything, you know, all tip top and running well takes a lot of my time. And so I do as much as I can to organize uh, some missions. Uh, and it's uh, and really what I'll try to do is find a good local act in the places that we're going and then sort of allow them to take the reins. Um, you know, let them know what we're, what, what we're doing, um, you know, what we're up to, what we're looking for, and then, uh, and then play it from there. But yeah, this, this one here in, uh, in Grenada is just something that we heard about. I uh, decided to go take a look because it, because it looked good and it was best. And recently turns out that it wasn't so good. It was all of the bottom of it. But um, yeah, now we're on our way to look where we actually have some pretty amazing expeditions lined up, whitewater kayaking expeditions lined up there in Colombia. So, yeah, we're all we're all stoked to uh, get South America and run some river. You know, one of the things that you notice if you watch your your Wizard's Eye videos uh, is that uh, they that it seems like the crew is always changing. So, Correct. how yeah. how do you go through the process of selecting? the crew or recruiting the crew? How does that work? Yeah, man. So uh, that, that's a good question. Um, it, you know, luckily, because of my background in, in adventure sports and extreme sports, I have quite, um, a variety of uh, pretty adventurous friends that um, that all fit into the expedition really well. I like to choose crew that I know they're a good friend that are um, talented in uh, in some in some way adventure sports or or media and it, it really uh, it's really a huge team effort on the wizard's eye and yeah these, these guys just helped me so much in being able to, to produce these episodes and go on um, some adventures and almost safely so yeah i really wouldn't be anywhere without all of the people that have uh taken time out of their lives to come on the wizard's eye and uh just kind of join join up with the expedition for you know months or weeks at a time. Yeah, I think, you know, the thing that strikes me is that, you know, how accomplished all of them are in their respective fields. We barely scratched the surface of all their accomplishments, you know, if you're just watching the, the, the episodes. For sure. I mean, these, these guys are, you know, luckily, you know, they're, they're some of the best in the world at the stuff that they do. It's, um, it's, just, it's just phenomenal. It's, uh, Kind of the, the bigger picture with the with the Wizards Eye expedition was to put together an expedition that, you know, of course was you know my ultimate dream to circumnavigate the world, seeking out new adventures, practicing adventure sports along the way, um, kind of paying homage to the same boat, which it's about it was a way I could possibly imagine seeing the world, but then as well allow it to be sort of this doorway into having all of these, you know, amazing characters that I know that are just so talented at what they do come on board and allowing, you know, those characters and, um, and, and the art that they do, which is what, you know, they portray through sports, sort of tell the story for itself. So it's, um, it, it's just worked out great, you know, and, uh, and of course, you know, a lot of it wasn't planned at all and it's just kind of fallen into place as it goes along. But yeah, that's, uh, I think that's the nature of, uh, of sort of any sailing expedition. Just give us a broad overview, maybe, of where the wizard's eye's gone in in the trip. So you started from La Paz. You did you go to the the French Polynesia? Yeah, correct. So so we started off in in Mexico, cruised over to to French uh, Polynesia, 
um, you know, which is just amazing. And spend time in the Marquesas, the two Motus, the Society Islands, before going to north to uh, um, uh, the Northern Cooks, American Samoa, and then down to Fiji. And then from Fiji, we uh, we, we continue west, um, Solomon Island, uh, Vanuatu, Solomon Island. North shore of Papua New Guinea, um, over into Indonesia, through Indonesia, across the Indian Ocean, Sri Lanka, Madagascar, and um, yeah, and that big, um, I continue on from Madagascar to South Africa, now across the Atlantic, uh, and now up the coast of Brazil to the Caribbean. That's been the expedition. So you guys are going to go to Colombia. What's your kind of timeline? Which, how long do you plan to spend in Colombia? And when do you plan on going to Panama? So we're going to be in Colombia for for quite a, for probably like three or four months, actually. Just one of the most amazing countries. I've been there a couple of times before on paddling expeditions, and it is a beautiful country with all kinds of amazing rivers, great flying there. And while the hurricane season is happening here in the Caribbean, I think we'll just have the boat uh, docked up there in Cartagena. Uh, we have to haul out again, uh, get some bottom paint done, and so yeah, just going through the process of yeah, keeping the keeping the boat happy and uh, keeping the crew happy by getting on submissions. And yeah, we're all we're all excited to get over there. So you probably won't go to Panama until hurricane season is over. Is it? Is that the plan? Yeah. That, that, that's correct, yeah. We're, we probably won't head towards Panama until the end of October, beginning of November, and then uh, and then cross through the canal and begin working our way back up north and probably complete the circumnavigation sometime around March or April of 2017. Oh, well, that's a bummer. We were, we were planning on going to Panama this July, or before July. So we're, we'll probably miss you because we'll probably be off the boat when you guys are transiting. Oh shoot, that's that. That's too bad. Well, something changes. I'll let you know. Okay. We'll see you guys. <laughs> so tell us about, about uh, or tell me about the Wizard's Eye. What kind of boat is it? How big is it? So the so the Wizard's Eye is a forty-two foot rigged uh, steel hull boat. It's sort of a custom-built boat, um, and it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's uh, built on designs um, by Carl Bowden. It's a Bowden South Seas, is I guess what it's most commonly referred to as, but it's a very obscure boat, and, and but strong, very sturdy, just an amazing boat, and, and geez, she's taken just incredible care of us on our trip. Yeah, she looks really big and strong. Before you had Wizard's Eye, what, what sailing did you do? So before the wizard died, I, I really hadn't done too much sailing. I'd spent maybe about a month cumulatively with a friend in Mexico sailing. I uh, just sort of did it enough to have the vision for this uh, for this world circumnavigation, and then uh, and and to know that you know I it was something that I would be able to get the hang of and um, you know fairly quickly. I mean, I'm an eternal student. I'm always learning. I'm still learning a lot about. But uh, I, you know, knew that it was something that was that was feasible, and, uh, and and just decided to dive into it and create this expedition. And it, of course, was way beyond anything that I could have possibly comprehended about you know just the amount of work and 
expense that it takes to the cruise. But yeah, we're taking it all in stride, and um, yeah, just happy that the expedition's been as successful as it has been. Wow, that's that's really amazing. I think that's really inspiring. You, you had less than a month's experience, and then you just started sailing the world. You know, there's not many <laughs> yeah. people that do that. Yeah, and it's uh, but you know we also also did my homework out on that on that very first crossing. I had a I had a good friend with me that's a very experienced um, you know sailor and skipper, and uh, and so he was on the boat for that first Pacific crossing all the way to Fiji, and so I was able to learn a lot from him, and uh, and definitely leaned pretty heavily on on his experience as a as a sailor to uh, to, to get us to get the trip kick started and get us. Uh, out there across the Pacific. You talked about keeping the boat running. It's been a, a kind of a challenge for you. It's a challenge for every cruiser. Did you have much experience, like, fixing things, or did you ever own a boat before? Besides yeah. besides a kayak. Or, I know you've owned some kayaks. <laughs> I've owned a lot of boats, but very small ones that are easy to maintain. <laughs> but, yeah, no, this, uh, the Wizard's Eye was... Um, certainly a, a huge jump for me in um just you know you know maintaining just becoming you know a part of this boat's life and um you know doing everything that i could to uh to, to keep her going she was built in the in the late 80s and um you know of course was not a production boat and so and having not um had the opportunity to meet the previous owner i was sort of just thrown into the deep end with the wizard's eye i mean all the systems needed working over and I was sort of just having to reverse engineer this boat on my own. The, um, you know, I, I've had to deal with, you know, a lot of, you know, 12 foot electrical stuff and, uh, and diesel mechanics in my life before I converted a Japanese fire truck to run on vegetable oil and drove it from Alaska to Argentina. That helped get me going on sort of like maintaining and fixing things, but then geez, you put all of that stuff into a saltwater environment and, I just couldn't even begin to comprehend the enormity of the task of maintaining a boat when I began this trip. What kind of upgrades did you put on it before you left La Paz? How much time did you spend before you left the first So, tour? yeah, so I spent probably a good two months working on the boat, and the upgrades that we did were a lot in the in the electronics, you know, getting a, getting a good GPS, getting, a, you know, a radar depth finder, that sort of thing, you know, working well in the boat. And aside from that, we, we sort of left the boat as it was. The rig was really good. Uh, the hull was good. We we did some uh, we did some bottom paint, but kept the old Hank on sails. Um, set sail for the Pacific without the autopilot, so we hand steered the first half of the trip, which. Um, which now that we have autopilots, I look back on it and <laughs> wonder how the heck we know why we decided that was a good idea. But um, yeah, so it so know, it so, still so has the Hank on sails. It still has Hank on sails. So, so I just in Cape Town um, put a roll, roller furler on the boat. I uh, cool. got, got the autopilot sort of dialed in, and so and so now the um, yes, so, so so now the boat. It, you know, brought all the reefing lines from the main down into the cockpit. And so now the boat is just a dream to sail. Got all new sails for her as well. So, I mean, I just can't. The, the boat before and after that is just, you know, completely different animals, you know, to, 
I, I, yeah, so it's, it's really nice. My goal is to get the boat to, you know, to a point where the, it's all, it's all rigged well enough that I can single hand it. And then I'd like to do a big, um, single handed crossing at, at some point on this expedition, maybe going back, um, up to Mexico or maybe going to Mexico, bringing the boat back to the United States. We'll, we'll see, but yeah, I, I definitely have a strong desire to do a bit of single handing with her. Well, I think that's great that you didn't have the boat perfect, but you went anyways. You know, that you, well, you run across that you're so never many. Gonna have the boat perfect. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, you I think a lot of people would say, "Oh, you had to get this. You have to get this." You know, and you didn't. You didn't. You just went. Yeah, you know, exactly. and it, it still worked. You know, you didn't have to have the roller furling. You didn't have, have to you have, have spent enough time. Yeah, and the autopilot, all, all those luxuries, for sure. And it, um, you know, I've done enough expeditions in my life and have um, dealt with enough risk management, you know, that, that you can see if you've got, you know, a, a good boat, the hull is solid, the rig is solid, you've got, you know, running rigging, um, you know, your sails are in good shape, and you've got a good, um, you know, company-able crew, you know. Really, that's, you know, the, the main necessities of, of, of sailing and, and the rest are, are really lucky, you know. So it's um yeah, we were just kind of yeah, trying to make this make this expedition happen sort of on a on a wing and a pair you know and uh, and and luckily we uh we we were able to pull it off, you know, not always you know in style and in comfort, but pulling off nevertheless. Done a ton of videos already. Are you do you have kind of an end goal? Do you want to produce kind of a documentary or a movie? Exactly. Yeah, we uh, there's definitely a, a, an end goal, and it will be um, a feature length or close to feature length film, and uh, and we'll we'll be working with a we uh, uh, a pretty high end production company, and and yeah, really producing something that is hopefully inspirational and very um you know visually appealing and um and high energy out of this expedition so that's that's now the the big challenge ahead is as this expedition wraps up um putting all those pieces in line and getting to sift through you know five years of, of a lot of filming and media and trying to consolidate it all down into semi-collected story <laughs> do you have a distribution channel that you have in mind that you would like to for instance is there a cable channel that you'd like to sell it to or yeah the, you know what we'll probably do is it, it'll be an independent film and so what it'll it'll tour its film festivals and then um before you know getting released for download online and dvd is probably the the route that we'll take Television is, uh, you know, it's 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 always there. It's always an option, but in my experience, it's um, you, you can produce something much more soulful if it's just a, you know, an independent production. You have creative control over it, rather than you know trying to turn it into some, you know, te television production that's often, you know, often, you know, overly dramatized and just not as as truthful in the, you know, elements of storytelling as I'd like to be. Why don't you tell, you know, maybe some of the sailors that don't know your background, maybe one of the things that is obviously one of the first things people know about you is that you went off a very high waterfall in a kayak. How high was it and where was it? 
Yeah, so yeah, so so probably the thing that I'm known the best for is it's the, yeah, that that world record waterfall. It's uh, the Loose Falls in eastern Washington. It's 189 feet tall, and I did that in April of geez, 2000. And, oh man, it's it's been seven years, I guess. So 2009, I ran that waterfall. And it's um, and it you know that was a big dream of mine to uh, to pull that off. It, it went it went really really well, and it's certainly been you know a, 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 an amazing um, you know element in my life, and it's helped my career and my ability in being able to uh, eventually pull off the Wizard's Eye expedition here. So yeah, sort of my passion is whitewater kayaking. Although I enjoy uh, all all adventure sports and. It's, it's sort of been my my life pursuit here. One adventure to the next, one expedition to the next, and yeah, it's just I feel really fortunate for the opportunity to be able to, to live my life in this way. And uh, I've been 30 years old and uh, haven't had to get a real job yet, so um, that's, uh, well, that's, that's definitely cool. uh, a bonus. <laughs> what kind of preparation went into you going over Palouse Falls? How how did you? you know, structure your risk management so that you felt comfortable doing it. Maybe you never felt yeah, comfortable. So for sure, yeah. <laughs> the, uh, I, I've been kind of thinking, you know, my entire life, Rutland's Falls, I've paddled, you know, 200 days a year, every year since I was about six years old, and, uh, and just, you know, and just paddled a lot of waterfalls and got to the point where, um, Loose Falls. I saw it, scouted it. It was a lot larger, about eighty feet larger than any other waterfall that had been run up to that point. I just saw it, you know, saw it had the line pickable, and uh, and then just and then just went for it. And um, and everything just worked out incredibly well. It was uh, such a positive day, positive experience. Yeah, something that I'll remember for the rest of my life. If you. I, I like to kayak with in flat water. If someone's going from kind of flat water kayaking to kind of moderate rapids or, or light rapids, what kind of advice would you give to them? You know, my best advice would just be to, to find a, a mentor, somebody that is an experienced kayaker that kind of knows the ropes, that, that's confident and knows what's going on. You know, just, it doesn't have to be kayak, you know, you know dangerous or... Levels of whitewater kayaking, and um, and there's you know a lot of white water is just um, very fun, blissful days on the river. You know, got like glass water too, and obviously you can take it pretty much as far as you want to. So, tell me, what was your scariest time on the Wizard's Eye in the trip so far? A couple of moments stick out. I had a I had a pretty scary experience when we were crossing the Pacific. I got tangled up in the Portuguese man of war when I was um clearing some fishing line off our prop and it does uh, I mean do anaphylactic shock and you know breathing up very very difficult and it uh it, it turned into heavy pens later and uh you know it, it, it went away um, as far as sailing goes uh, we, we spent um a couple of nights out there with eight to 50 knot winds and uh and, and that that was um, obviously pretty exciting but, you know, generally speaking, there haven't, uh, there's been plenty of moments that have been exciting that we've been, you know, having, having to deal with, but very few, um, 
scary moments, you know, where, where I actually feel like the approach of the crew is being seriously threatened. Um, luckily, the wizard side uh, takes very good care of us. And aside from those two situations where, you know, I had the crew go downstairs and locked the boat up as tight as I could and just kind of, wrote, you know, wrote out some weather, um, it's, it's all been very pleasant sailing for us. So tell me about the fifty knot storms. Where this was it? It wasn't just a squall. It was like a sustained storm. Is that what you're saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes, sustained. Uh, yeah, sustained weather. Man, that cases it was about a watch and the other was um, on uh, on North Shore. Start seeing foam get blown the surface of the ocean in streaks, and the waves are starting to properly curl over and break, and uh, you're uh, you know sort of. Uh, sort of writing it out, doing everything you can not to take anything on beam. And in both, uh, in both cases, I was, uh, I was running with it. Um, but yeah, any time that's going on, it's uh, it's definitely getting getting exciting. But uh, I've got I've got a lot of faith in my boat, and, um, and yeah, she's uh, she's she's been really really good to us. So it helps having a, a nice piece of equipment out there to, uh, to work with in those situations. So in in those situations, did you? Did you have an active strategy that you were you had somebody on deck actively steering or? Uh, in, yeah, in, in both cases it was uh, it was it was me up there steering. I didn't heave to. Um, I just uh, yeah, I, I, I just wrote it out. Um, in, in both uh, one of the instances we were trying to make our way off of a lee shore and. Uh, and and the other one, we were trying to get across the channel. And so in, in both instances, you know, I wasn't able just to straight run with it downwind. I was having to try to come across the weather to uh, to make ground in the direction that we needed to go. So sort of, um, you know, trying to anticipate these, these these waves, you know, take the ones that are breaking on, on, the, on the stern of the boat. And then, um, you know, and then the rest of the time, you know, sort of angled 45 degrees off of the wind, just uh, going with it. Um, uh, one of them I had a, a small jib up, and the other one I uh, just had my, my fully reefed mainsail up. So, it, uh, yeah, both, both cases exciting, and um, yeah, it was, I uh, just, you know, tethered in behind the, behind the helm and, and rode it out, spent the night out there myself with, uh, with the crew downstairs. So one of the things that uh, I, I wrote a book, uh, How to Sail Around the World Part Time, and I mentioned your your videos, the, your video series Wizard Die, in that book because I was it blew my mind when I saw uh, you guys haul out the boat in Fiji and just leave the boat in Fiji. Did you do that in a lot of places that you just hauled it out? And uh, so, I mean, I think the traditional route is for people to go to, like, New Zealand or something in a single season versus hauling out in Fiji. Did you did you know a lot of people that had done that? And uh, did you do that yeah. anywhere else? It's, you know, it, it's sort of, um, you know, it's sort of a mixed bag. That was definitely the goal of ours was to get down in New Zealand, but it just, it just sort of didn't didn't work out um we we just got sort of you know to run out on the end of the leg and um and it was it was uh only the better decision for us just to to leave the boat there in in fiji in that cyclone pit um it uh yeah it's you know there's plenty of people that do it that route that 
you know, probably the, the better route is, is definitely just to get out of the cyclone zone altogether. Um, but, uh, you know, just because of it's, it's much more cost effective, obviously, if you can just go anchor up somewhere rather than hauling out. But, you know, with the maintenance that, that we needed to do at the time, you know, we've, um, we've hauled out a couple of times. Once was in Fiji and the other time was in Cape Town. But the only time that, that we actually left the boat in a cyclone pit was, uh, was there in Fiji. And it was only because it's the, the safest option there. Should, should Fiji get hit by a cyclone, your boat's, you know, probably safest there in, on the heart in the cyclone pit. Um, although, you know, it's, it's just anybody's guess. You know, they, they got hit hard this year. And that marina just got very torn up. So, um, yeah, it's just sort of, it's, it's just sort of um, do, do everything that you can to uh, to keep the boat safe. And then, you know, the rest of the time you just hope for the best, I guess. So you think the latest uh, hurricane or cyclone Winston, uh, you, you had heard that uh, a lot of boats in cyclone pits did not do very well? You know, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't hear about the boats in the cyclone pits, but I um, had one friend with a boat over there that miraculously was undamaged, and all when all the other boats in the anchorage got pretty, pretty torn up, and um, and then yeah, I had another friend that uh, that has his boat in Australia that flew back over to Fiji to, to try to help you know everybody clean up after after that cyclone, and it just sounded sounded horrific and i mean of course you know that that's your greatest fear as a sailor is having to deal with um you know a, a large tropical tropical depression like that like a you know hurricane or a cyclone it's um typhoon it's just you know the, the last thing in the world that you want to want your boat to have to go through and um yeah and, and i think that it's very important to be to be prudent and uh you know just try to not put yourself in in that, in those situations, just stay away from you know those areas of the world that are affected by it during that season, and uh, and just um, you know time it as best you can. It, it seems like anything with sailing is is all about timing. You know, you can't really fight the weather in a, in a sailboat. You sort of need to be able to go with it. And any time that you're you know hoping that you're going to be able to work against one of the great forces of nature you know you're probably going to end up on the, the losing end of, um, of of that so so yeah I, I think that you know being a sailor it's just it's just really important to uh to try to stay out of out of those um zones and situations well you weren't in that zone you were you know the boat was but so yeah, I, exactly I, and so i sail so, out of new orleans and, and that's the thing if you're you know you don't want to yeah I sail out of New Orleans, and we know that's not in a hurricane-safe zone. So. Yeah, exactly. I know lots of people that have lost boats. If your boat's going to get torn up, you know, it's better not to... Um, it's very important, you know, that you don't put yourself or your crew at risk, you know? I mean, I think that that's just one of those responsibilities of being the captain of a boat, and even if it's, you know, even if you're not so concerned with your own life, you know? I mean, there's obviously plenty of stories oh, out there. Of, you know, right. Um, I, I, I guess you, maybe I wasn't criticizing yeah. you at all. I, 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 uh, I know. I, yeah, you know, sure. nobody was on the boat for one thing, and I, I thought it was a good idea. So. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, um, yeah so, but, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that's just like one of a very, a very, you know, important thing to, uh, you know, to be 
Burton and give yourself all the best chances that you can. And then when you are yeah, out there and you have to deal with weather, because eventually you will have to, you know, hopefully it's um, it's reasonable and, uh, and yeah, you're prepared for it. But, um, yeah, weather is just a part of sailing, isn't it? You know, you can't sail around the world and not, uh, and not get in, you know, get roughed up a little bit out there. Definitely. So what do you like about sailing the most? Yeah, I, you know, sailing just feels like a very organic, um, natural way of getting around and seeing the world. I think that it um, allows for a perspective that is, is really unattainable otherwise, you know, the, the ability to, um, to, to get to these places under the power of the wind and to, um, you know, arrive at places, you know, over the surface of the planet as opposed to, you know, dropping out of the sky, I think just, you know, also creates such a connection to these places that uh, that we have the opportunity to visit and it it really just kind of ties everything together so so yeah it's um it's i feel like you know there's so many aspects about sailing that i appreciate and, and all of the lessons that i've learned along the way and all of the experiences that we've you know that i've been able to have i, I really wouldn't trade for the world it's um it's, it's just one of one of the most you know amazing things and it's not always just like know immediately nail-biting exciting you know i mean there's a lot of downtime there's a lot of like crossing oceans is like such like a such a mind game and such a you know a prolonged endeavor that you know it's, it's certainly not what i'm used to which is you know immediate you know adrenaline rush sort of you know off the lip sort of a feeling you know but so sailing was uh, definitely a, a, a huge transition but yeah, I, I just love it. It's 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 really it's really really a very special thing and allows for incredible experiences. One of the things is that uh, cyclone season kind of stretches a long ways. You're in the southern hemisphere for a long time uh, on your route, and did you did you uh, leave the boat uh, during cyclone season uh, or? Did you just kind of stay kind of close to port uh, a lot of times? And I guess what I'm saying is, you know, did you go back to the States and hang out for a while uh, in the off season? Yeah. And, and so, and so I did, I, um, I've been back to the, back to the States um, three times in the course of the expedition, just because, uh, you know, I'm also, um, you know, my, my, uh, my paddling is very important to me. And so being able to go back to a lot of whitewater kayaking, um, you know, help, you know, be able to talk, to, talk to the sponsor to help uh, the trip. Fund. It's, um, been important for me. So, yeah, so I, you know, we've, I, I left the boat in Fiji, I left the boat in Indonesia, and then I left the boat again in, um, in South Africa and both the Fiji and the Indonesia time. I, um, co- corresponded with, uh, with the cyclone season and, um, and yeah, just put the boat in, uh, in the, in the best place that I could and, um, and, and then, and then took off and, you know, let the season pass and then came back to the boat afterwards. I saw you got a new sponsor, Jackson Kayaks. Is that right? Yeah, correct. Yeah. Jackson, Jackson Kayaks just came on board. They're an amazing, um, kayak company out of, um, out of the United States and, and yeah, really happy to have them on board. They make all the whitewater kayaks I really enjoy along with, uh, sea kayak kayaks and stand-up paddle boards and so yeah they're they're really just an amazing fit with the uh with the expedition and i'm stoked to have them on board what are your other sponsors for the expedition so 
So the other sponsors is um, it's Kapu, a, uh, a lifestyle um, based, you know, clothing company out of Seattle. Kapu is um, an acronym that sort of stands for the, for the perfect day, you know, Clear above visibility unlimited. These guys are just all about, you know, living every moment of every day as well as possibly can. And my job description with them is just to, you know, basically knock the fun meter off the wall. So they're, uh, <laughs> it's about as good of a, of, of, uh, of a sponsor as I could possibly dream for. Um, NRS is a, uh, is a uh, gear manufacturer out of um, the, the northwest of the United States. It's very close to where I grew up, and they um, that stands for Northwest River Supplies. And they are as well just an amazing um, company, very, um, very roots, very grounded in, in, in the river community, and are, again, just about as amazing of a sponsor as I could imagine. And, and have some uh, smaller sponsors zero um make a lot of uh, solar equipment um as well and then uh book tab um an energy uh tab company out of uh, the hometown where i grew up gopro helps us out a little bit um smith optics helps us out a little bit and future technology paddles helps out a little bit you know there's all these you know smaller companies that are definitely doing everything they can to help the expedition and 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 really you know it's just uh um, we're, we're just barely pulling it off. Now everybody's, you know, putting, pooling their resources and, uh, and doing what they can. And, and the day, you know, I just sort of like scrape by on, on the, on the little bit of money that I, that I can bring in and, and, uh, but, you know, it enriches the experience. I, I feel like doing things on a budget and, uh, and think about it that way. It's always, um, a lot more of a, of a grassroots and just exciting way of doing things. So I, I don't, mind it at all hey i just feel really really fortunate for the opportunity to do this expedition and please uh, my hat goes off to all of the sponsors that have that have helped us get this far is there anything that i should have asked you but i didn't ask you hey you know i think you've pretty, pretty much covered it man yeah okay. that's, that's the expedition in a nutshell <laughs> All right. Well, I can't wait to see the more of your videos for your Atlantic crossing and all the the stuff that's going to be forthcoming. Uh, good luck in uh, your next passage. When do you think you might be leaving? So yeah, we're we're off in the morning for Columbia, 850 miles. So it should take us about a week to get there, and um, yeah, and that'll be the end of leg four. Four out of five legs of the expedition um, completed now. So. Yeah, thank you so much, Linus. It's been a, more than a pleasure chatting, and uh, I appreciate you including the Wizard's Eye there in the uh, Slow Boats podcast. All right. Well, thanks a lot. Uh, fair winds. The interview was with Tyler Brandt of the Wizard's Eye. You really need to check out his videos, and when it becomes a feature film, uh, you definitely want to watch it because it is amazing. It is some amazing video, and he's put together an amazing team to put it together. So if you want to find out why I'm sailing to uh, Panama in May and June, check out my book, How to Sail Around the World Part-Time. If you want to know about our earlier travels, look at my book, Slow Boat to the Bahamas. You should check them out on Amazon.com. Both have been number one bestsellers in the Kindle sailing ebook category. Check out the show notes. 
like us on Facebook to find out our position updates. I don't have internet, but I do have the, the uh, Delorum inReach, which allows me to post to Facebook, and I try to do a post every day wherever we are in the blue waters. I'm posting those updates to Twitter, too. So our Twitter handle is at slowboatsailing, all one word. You can check out the show notes on the blog section of slowboatsailing.com or WordPress, slowboatsailing.com. You can like us on Facebook from the blog or go to Facebook slash slowboatsailing. And if you're in the, looking in the search box, it's Slow Boat to the Bahamas. The name of my first book is the name of the page where we put our position updates on. Uh, you can also, if you want, uh, do a, a rating or review on iTunes, and I think that you know helps get the podcast noticed. Okay, so goodbye for now. Have some fun on the w- water, and next week we will talk to Cheryl Barr, the author of Yacht Pilots Cruising Guide to Cuba, Volume 1. The Patreon supporters will get a bonus episode this week of chapters 7, 8, and 9 of Slow Boat to the Bahamas. There are many bonus episodes on the Patreon page at patreon.com slash slowboatsailing. Thank you to all that have pledged and helped us pay for the internet in these remote locations. Go to patreon.com slash slowboatsailing. Goodbye for now and have some fun on the water. (laughs) That was so great. (laughs) Hi, I'm Jana Wilson. Thank you for listening to the Slow Boat Sailing Podcast. Subscribe to our free newsletter at slowboatsailing.com.